welcome back to Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. I'm your host, Lisa Selberg, and today is a special edition because it is Tales from the Heart, Patient Stories, or the Faces of HCM. And today we're joined by one of our HCMA ambassadors, Bree, who's going to tell us a little bit about her HCM journey and her story and things that are important to her. Bree, welcome to Tales from the Heart. Thank you for having me. It's great to have all of these different individuals from around the country share their stories of HCM and their management. So tell us, where are you from? I'm from Denver, Colorado. When did your family first hear hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? I want to say it was in 2017. You were the first person in your family to get a clear diagnosis of HCM, but that's not really where it started, is it? No, not at all. What happened with mom and grandma? My mom actually unfortunately passed away in 2018, which was a year after my first surgery. My grandma had passed away in 2007 due to heart failure and she was completely undiagnosed. Mom passes in 2018, But where did mom's cardiac journey start? How long do you remember mom having some heart issues? Probably a couple of years. I know she was taking a medicine that was helping with the heart and she was constantly having blood drawn, but never any talks of surgeries to correct the issues or any additional treatments to kind of help her. How do you feel about your mother's inability to achieve a diagnosis when you had a diagnosis? I definitely didn't think that it was related by any means until after the fact. Had I known, I probably would have encouraged her to do more. But I think it was kind of a lack of the health insurance and the doctors that she was seeing. They just didn't invest in her care enough, probably because she was getting insurance through the state. So I think that it was they did what they wanted to do. And that was it. And unfortunately, didn't give her the correct diagnosis she deserved. That kind of thing angers me. Mm -hmm. I get very frustrated. There's where the advocacy fists hit the table, right? This is not right. She shouldn't have died at 55 years old in 2018 with HCM. We've got to do better. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. And as many families who have lost to HCM, it does something to you. It changes you. The disease, the diagnosis, they change you, but loss from the diagnosis changes you. You can look back in the family tree and also see grandma was affected with heart issues. How different would the world have been had somebody understood grandma's heart led to mom's heart, led to your heart? I'm really grateful that you're having this conversation with us. And I know it's hard. We wish we could do things to bring back the ones we loved, but we're left here to do the work to keep other families whole. And I appreciate you for that. Tell us a little bit about your HCM journey. You said you've had heart surgeries, plural. 2017, I had my septal myectomy. Everything was good after that until like mid 2018. I started feeling kind of some weird things, went to the doctor and they thought it would be best to have an ICD placed, not because I needed it at the time, but sort of like a little net to have it just in case. So I got that placed in 2018. And then in 2019, I did have an ablation done. It was an unsuccessful ablation. They weren't able to find anything. They just kept it how it was. And then in 2021, I did have another ablation done. It was an alcohol ablation and that led to complete heart block. And that made it to where they had to put a second lead into my heart. And now I am 100% paced in the bottom part of my heart and then 14% paced in the top part of my heart. Girl, you've been through a lot in a few years. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's an awful lot. So the ablation, was that for an atrial arrhythmia or for a ventricular arrhythmia? Ventricular. Yeah, they're not quite as successful as atrial. That gets complicated. You've had open heart. You've had a device put in. I'm assuming you have a device in your upper chest. Yes. With two leads into the heart. Dual chamber pacer defibrillator. How old are you? I'm 35. So a 35 year old, beautiful woman living in Colorado who would walk down the street and nobody would think twice that you're a cardiac patient. Unless of course you're wearing a V-neck and they might catch the scar. (laughs) Why is it important that people see a 35 year old woman and think she has genetic heart disease? Why is it important for people to think about genetic heart diseases when they're in their 30s. You were in your 20s when you were diagnosed. I think it's important because it doesn't just affect a certain type of person. It affects everybody. It affects babies. It affects teenagers, adults, elderly. It doesn't discriminate. And I think it's important for people to know that even though I am 35 and I am young, that I can still have heart disease and a 14-year-old child can still have heart disease. It doesn't discriminate. Race, ethnicity, age, we are everywhere. Yesterday, we had a briefing on Capitol Hill. I say that out loud. I'm like, that sounds a tad bit pretentious, but we really (laughs) did it. We had a briefing on Capitol Hill and we had a young man named Jared Butler, who is currently an NBA player with HCM at the Hill, explaining how we've evolved HCM to a point where risk stratification can be done. And some people can participate at a very high level. And I have a picture that you're going to start seeing everywhere on social media for me. And that is Jared standing next to 81 and three quarters years old, Marsha Rosenberg, who is this little petite, gray haired, grandmotherly sweet lady next to a six foot two basketball player. They are shared in heart. So do not judge books by covers. Bree is a 35-year-old woman who has heart disease. Who else in your family is affected, Bree? I do have people on my mom's side of the family that I don't talk to a whole lot, but I also have my sister and my niece who have been genetically tested and do carry the gene. You have a child who does not carry the gene. Correct. Let's take a moment and just talk about the power of genetic testing in a family like yours. We start with the patient who's clinically diagnosed, which is you in this case. And we were able to find a pathogenic or disease-causing mutation that ran in your family. And then you were able to use that information to screen your daughter. Talk a little bit about the emotions that you had or the things that you thought about before you tested her. Honestly, I was terrified. I I know what I've gone through and I didn't want that to be something that she had to go through. So it was a very scary situation. When I got those results back and it said that she didn't carry the gene, I cried happy tears because I'm just like, I have to worry about it. Many times over, over the years, I've cried happy tears for people like you when they find out, well, my kid doesn't have it. And that's a sense of relief. We're allowed to celebrate. It's okay. But your sister, she got different information. You're a sibling. They, okay, sis, this is what runs in our family. Go get tested. Had she had any symptoms? A little bit. She's had shortness of breath. Compared it to her weight and being pregnant at the time. So she didn't think anything of it being, you know, a heart condition. She was diagnosed genetically. And then she went on to screen her daughter. 
the daughter has it as well. Unfortunately, yes. And how have you guys handled that whole situation as a family? Have you talked about it much? We've talked about it. I have encouraged her to go to the doctors that I've seen so that they know kind of the family history. Both of them have had echocardiograms done. They're both in a very... Well, my niece doesn't have any obstruction at all or any hypertrophy. My sister has a very mild case of it. Nothing that they're doing anything about now, but they do want to continue to monitor them every five years. That's not a guideline. During adolescence, it should be every year. Beyond adolescence, it's if she's diagnosed clinically, she should be seen annually if there's any thickening at all. Sometimes families get mismessaged from non-experts, but the guideline-driven care is during adolescence, every 12 to 18 months, she's seen an adult with hypertrophy and a positive gene, they should be seen annually. There's always education moments out there. We're tweaking and we're trying to get the right messages to the right docs so they know how to do the follow-up. So hopefully sister will get evaluated a little bit more soon than five years and we can make sure that she's got the care that she needs before anything comes up in terms of symptoms or consequences. Do you know which gene it is that runs in your family? It's the MYBPC3. Yes. One of the most common and currently one that is under investigation for gene therapy. What is that concept of the potential, it's just clinical trials right now. How do you feel about the potential of genetic therapy for the gene that you actually carry? I think that that's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing the the kind of technology and medicine that they have these days and are able to use to help people. It's one of those moments where you sit back and say, wow, we can do amazing things. It's just trial work right now, but we're cautiously optimistic that for some families, there may be a cure available at some point. We don't want people to have to go through some of the stuff that we've been through. Absolutely not. You became an HCMA ambassador last year. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to become an ambassador? I don't think that there's enough awareness for the disease as it is. I know that my family had no idea about it until I was actually officially diagnosed. And I think that people attribute their symptoms to other things and that they need to kind of think a little more in depth, like shortness of breath and dizziness isn't just being dehydrated or being tired. It's it's definitely something you want to get looked at because my diagnosis started with a simple migraine that I was having continuously. That's what led to me getting checked out and being diagnosed with HCM. It's a really interesting point. We we actually have a survey I got to send out about migraines and HCM. There is a connection. I don't quite know the why, but specific types of migraines seem to have a propensity through our community. From a personal perspective, I used to get migraines all the time. I was a two to three time a month migraine sufferer from my teenage years up until my transplant. New heart, first year, different kind of migraine. Now, no more migraines. Tell me there's not some blood flow thing going on there. Yeah, there's something. There's a, there's a there there. Haven't figured it out yet, but there's enough of this that I have heard over the years. It may end up being another question to trigger what kind of migraine and could have a cardiac component to it. We'll figure it out at some point. Yes. So that's another, another challenge. I think what you said is phenomenal about wanting to raise awareness. When you get diagnosed with something that's not particularly commonplace and you have symptoms and you try to explain to friends, families, employers, people that you meet on the street, whatever, you try to explain, I'm sorry, I can't do this because of that. We want people to empathize with us, not, not give us pity, we don't want their pity. We just want them to understand like sometimes we can't do things. 
And sometimes we need a little a little grace, a little understanding. And we're not saying, no, we don't want to go to the social event because we don't want to see you. We're saying no to the social event because we're tired. We are very tired. And have you experienced any of these types of things where people don't fully understand yet? I have gone through several different jobs and realized that the stress component is a huge factor for me. My last job, I actually left because the stress had just become too much for my heart to handle. And now, thankfully, I'm working at a place where a lot of people have similar issues. And I'm also around dogs 24-7. So it, it helps out. But I work with a lot of people that have POTS, which is very similar to the kind of symptoms that we have. And being able to talk with those people about some of the things that they feel they understand where I'm coming from. And it's like a a breath of fresh air, to be honest. But before that, just explaining being tired or explaining why I can't work a job where I drive a car or have a CDL license because of my pacemaker or can't lift heavy things or can't do lots of heavy labor. It puts a lot of limitations on, on people like us that have this disease. And I think it's important for people to understand those aspects as well. You bring up a really good point. The POTS community, which is postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. I may have said one of those words wrong, but basically it's an orthostatic intolerance that can create a tachyarrhythmia originating in the ventricles or ventricular arrhythmia. The symptoms are very similar. And we do have a lot of people who have both been diagnosed POTS and HCM. Anybody with POTS, I'd highly encourage them to get a very specific high quality echocardiogram because a lot of them actually have subtle hypertrophy as well. So is it POTS? Is it HCM? Is it a crossover of the two? One is more of an autonomic disorder and we're a structural heart disorder. We have a lot of the same symptoms and are treated by, interestingly, a lot of the same doctors. It's one of those other things that needs attention. POTS community, we hear you. We are you in some cases. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot to go through at 35 years of age. The loss of your mother right before COVID had to be incredibly difficult. Getting through a myectomy, an ICD ablation, and then an alcohol ablation, that is a very unusual path, especially Mm -hmm. at your age. But sometimes unusual paths make a lot of sense. They're the best decisions that we can make. Becoming an informed and educated patient to me is like the foundation that we have to start all HCM patients off with. There's a lot of different tools in that toolbox that can be pulled out and used. And some of them are incredibly helpful and some of them may not be the right tool for the right person at the right time. So higher volume centers are critically important to success. So if you could talk to a newly diagnosed HCM person, what would you tell them? Do what they think is best for them and not to listen to other people's journeys because everybody's are different and what is best for you might not have been the best decision for somebody else. I know that I remember when I was getting my second ablation done, I was in tears because I knew the outcome could be that I was 100% paced, but it was determining if I wanted to continue feeling the way I was feeling or to deal with being 100% paced. Ultimately, I came down to this decision that being 100% paced would probably be better for me just because of some of the symptoms I was feeling. So somebody may have that decision and 
think otherwise and be like, I'll just deal with the way that I'm feeling. I don't want to be hundred percent paced. So I think it's just determining what's best for you. What you feel in your heart is the best decision to make in that moment and just go from there. So what's really interesting is your timeline of care. About a year different, the options would have been different. You never know whether you're a little early or a little late for something. And if we had gotten to the point of the alcohol ablation, but it wasn't 2021, it was 2022 or three, depending upon when in the year, you would have had an opportunity for a myosin inhibitor, but they weren't clinically available at that point. I think some people may look at this and go, well, why didn't you try you know, this or that? Because it wasn't available. And you can't look futuristically to say, well, maybe someday it'll be an option for me and I'll right. wait for something. You have to act in the moment so you can feel as well as you can feel. Just want to clear that one up before somebody like snaps back in social and like, well, why didn't this happen? (laughs) Because everybody's got their own journey and their own timeline. It's really important to share each of these journeys and each of these timelines for so many different reasons. But most of all, to show the faces of HCM are everywhere. In the past two weeks, I did some foo-foo things in the past few weeks, Bray. I got, I got an award at this organization in New Jersey called BioNJ and I gave a talk, very brief, two people in the audience come up to me. <laughs> I have HCM, didn't know about you. I'm like, welcome to the club. We had a legislative briefing on Capitol Hill and we walked the floors of Congress. We found many staffers and many members who have family histories that are quite significant. We are everywhere. We are everywhere and we need to be seen and heard And understood by you sharing your story. I think we can do that. Absolutely. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Just know that there's a lot of people out there that are dealing with the same things and it's okay to, you know, break down every now and then. And it's okay to vent to one of us and that we're here to support you. And, you know, we all have felt the ways that you have felt and to just be open-minded and willing to share your story with all of us. I couldn't say that better myself. We choose as advocates to be out there and tell our story. My choice to share my story led to finding an awful lot of like-minded individuals who need to share their story too. And I love how many of you are out there now spreading the word that we're normal people. We have wonky hearts, but we're normal people and we need your understanding. So Bree, thanks for being an HCMA ambassador. Thanks for joining us on Tales from the Heart. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, of course. Thank you. And remember, big heart, big life, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's our hashtag. So use it. Thank you all for listening to Tales from the Heart. <laughs>